kind of just want to play marsh russian hockey off the top uh, elsewhere in the world of sports <laughs> here another according to a lot of people who know hockey remember we did this goaltender Ilya sorokin yeah. igor shestarokin andre <laughs> zubarov ayrton zub dinar oh my god what the hell is that name <laughs> K-H-A-F-I-Z-U-L-L-I-N? <laughs> Dinar Kafizalunin. Sure, let's go with that. Uh, Vyaslav Voinov. Vladislav Gavrikov? God, why are these so hard? Uh, who else do we have here? Nikita Nesterov. I don't know that name. There we go. Nikita Nesterov's playing for the Russian Federation that isn't really the rest of the Russian Federation. Uh, Bogdan Kizalevich. Alexei Marchenko. Hey, we know that name too, formerly. Marchenko's on yeah, the yeah, Russian yeah. team? <laughs> <laughs> Kyle's amazement at Marchenko being on. All right. Here we go. Coming down in three, two. Oh, where did I put the intro? Oh, I lost the intro. Oh, there it is. For those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mellow. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mellow. I love Ken. It's Marsh and Mellow. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. <laughs> They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mellow. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mellow. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mellow. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Hello and welcome to Marsh and Mellow on a Monday. Thank you for being here with us and welcome to the new schedule of CFB as we bring you an all new refreshed lineup with the only difference being Kyle and I are on Monday and I'm talking to people like I was on Monday on Fridays. As always, we are brought to you by our good friends at Fox 40. Get back in the game with Fox 40. Visit fox40shop.com to shop coaching boards, gear, and more. That's right. It's not just with. They have much more than that, my friends. Fox40.com. Use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your order. We got some more exclusive offers coming up with them very shortly down the road here that we're excited to be able to bring you in. Of course, if you'd like to be able to get yourself some Sawdust City beer to enjoy CFL game night with, well, it's easy enough. You just use the promo code CFL is where you can use it on sawdustcitybeer.com. They got so much good stuff up there. And they've also unveiled a bunch of like really high percentage crazy crafty stuff in the last little while which i don't have my hands on yet but when the weather starts to cool down and we get like september october i'm gonna order myself i think some of the uh, the sada city and use my own promo code because i'm cheap like that uh and i am going to sit by the campfire in the backyard and enjoy some of the crafty creations that sam corbet and his team have put together and if you want to do the same thing again use that promo code it is CFL, free shipping on your first order, over $100. Shipping available to Ontario residents. Only must be a legal drinking age. All right, Kyle Mello, it is week one in the Canadian Football it is. League. Uh, did you enjoy? I enjoyed reading your betting perspective. On <laughs> oh, CFL. I don't know why. It uh, was an absolute train wreck. Uh, it was a refreshing look at betting, though, because I don't know a damn thing about betting. and I Clearly, like, I don't either, so it's no, okay. <laughs> but, but it's not even about being right, okay? And this is my thing as well with, like, the Ottawa Red Blacks. Congratulations to the Red Blacks. We'll get to you coming up in just a little bit here because we're going to go chronologically throughout the games of the weekend for you, recap what we saw, what we thought was interesting, some of the main topics du jour. But the thing that I always have a problem with is people taking the lowest common denominator, which is just picking games and saying, wow, that person's smart and that person's dumb. 
this game that we call Canadian football, people, it is one in the tiniest of margins. Yeah. It is if Toronto <laughs> does not end up having Deshaun Amos track down, I forget which receiver it was for Toronto, and punch the ball out as he's running into the end zone, uh, that game's not nearly as close as it was. If the Edmonton Elks receiver doesn't decide to punch the ball directly into the arms of a Bill Kenna, he doesn't score. And at that point, Edmonton isn't forced to throw a check down to a fullback named James Tuck on the final play of the game and just yeah. hope that he's going to run 15 yards into the end zone. So when you say, oh, I wasn't good at my betting advice this weekend, I don't give a damn. I'm here for the content and the interesting look at things that make people go, oh, and start to kind of wrap their minds around stuff like that. Because for me, like I went three and one in my picks over the weekend and I had people jumping down my back because I didn't pick Ottawa to beat Edmonton. Who the hell was going to pick Ottawa to beat Edmonton? <laughs> it, yeah, that's the thing with all of these picks, right? Especially week one, we had zero evidence to go off of and it made it hard to even write a little bit of a preview where I gave my opinion on who I thought was going to win the game because I have nothing to go off of. Sure, this team made changes. I think it was the Toronto Argonauts that started 34 new players. 34 players on the Toronto Argonauts opening day roster were playing their first game for the Toronto Argonauts. 34. That's insane. Yeah. And I think the, you know, and I look at, you know, the, the way these games shook out, you know, the Ticats game was whatever. Um, and then the Saskatchewan game. It's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, you know, I picked the Ticats cause I thought the Ticats had, you know, revenge on their mind, then that usually means nothing. But I put it at the end of my article. When we haven't played football in this long, I'm going to take it because I'm grabbing at straws, right? Like, I don't know on what's going to decipher these two teams. I should have took the home field advantage a little bit more into consideration, um, but I didn't. Um, so the Ticats game, you know, you go down and it's like, oh, start the season bad. And then the second game. And I was out uh, with a girlfriend at her cousin's house. And I look at my phone. Saskatchewan Rough Riders up like 31 nothing. I'm like, oh, I killed this game. All of a sudden, the Riders forget how to play football the second half. Here comes Mike Riley to screw all of us uh, yeah. and backdoor cover for the BC Lions. It just drives me nuts. Yeah, we'll get to the full breakdown of all these games. But I just want to say, when you talk about the home field advantage in Winnipeg, coolest thing I saw was that they had Chris Trevler chug a beer from his home and they put yeah. it on the Jumbotron during a commercial break. I was like, that whoever made that call... <laughs> I, you deserve a raise because that is, yeah. I can't imagine in the stadium how cool that must have been for everybody to just be like sitting there or hanging out at the rum hut and then tapping each other on the shoulder and be like, hey, it's, it's Trevor, it's Trevor. Yeah. And then, of course, he just like jackknifes a beer and hammers it back, right? So that, that was pretty cool to be able to see. But the, yeah, uh, by the way, I just wanted to uh, point out because you talked about Sada City. I'm going to the cottage, yes. uh, Peely Island uh, this week. I'll bring some Sada City to enjoy Hell while yeah. I'm on the island. I was told um, <laughs> this past weekend by somebody, hey, when you're on Peely, take the kayaks out because there's kayaks at the cottage. Take the kayaks out and have some fun. But be careful because you're very close to U.S. waters. So I may or may not get arrested because I crossed international borders during a pandemic. <laughs> it just reminds me of the uh, the Simpsons episode where they sail into international waters, or at least what they think are international waters, because they believe they can get away with whatever they want. They've got like a, yeah. zoo, a zoo on the boat, and they've got like topless dancers and people drinking straight moonshine and all this stuff. And then the wind picks up and it blows the boat back into American waters, and they all get arrested. It's like, man, yeah, that's a, that's a little dangerous. Maybe 
don't do that. But uh, that's good to hear you're getting away and enjoying. I hope that everybody that was away has found this podcast well. We are going to be here on Mondays moving forward throughout the CFL season. Very excited to do that for you. Uh, part of the reason was just a workflow thing where we've got some moving pieces going on. I actually think think it's better because now yeah. we don't have to work around that Thursday game yeah. where we're like, okay, do we cover well, the Thursday game? Do we not? Do we wait until Friday? And then we don't cover the other three games. And we and then love, we yeah. love sending people into the weekend with a couple of laughs and some fun and something to distract you on your commute or whatever. But the reality is Kyle and I were talking as we headed towards week one kickoff. We're like, what the hell we hadn't thought of it we hadn't even processed like what we were going to do in season and we just were like the hell are we going to do we're like hamilton's playing thursday night i'd like to break down the tie cats game but i don't want to do a show on friday and then do another show on monday for you here so we just decided you know what scrap the friday show last week and we'll just throw one at you here each and every monday and hopefully we can take some of those same laughs that got you into the weekend and we can brighten up your monday and uh, give you a little bit more cfl talk in your life so let's go back to that Thursday game, Kyle Hamilton ends up going in, only putting up six points on the board, but damn, it was a sexy six points uh, because in the first drive of the game, they looked like they were going to score a hundred. Uh, it was amazing yeah. how good the offense looked. Jalen Acklin, I thought played really well for Hamilton. He, to me, I, I don't want to say I'd forgotten about him because I knew where he was and what his skill set was and all the rest, but I came in with the mindset of it's cozy. It's Addison, it's Banks, and, uh, you know, maybe even have like a Nikola Kalinic influence, depending on what they decide to do with their structure and their schemes. And then to me, Hacklin was, I mean, Speedy did his thing, but he kind of got shut down in the second half. He got frustrated. There was the shot of him at the end of the third quarter, sitting on the bench that looked really, really reminiscent of the Grey Cup when, before he got injured in the Grey Cup in 2019, yeah. where he's sitting there just shaking his head because he just like, it, we're not in a rhythm. We can't move the ball. They're getting after my quarterback. I keep looking back when I'm running 20 yards downfield and there's chaos in the backfield, but it's like, yeah, that's what Winnipeg's defense does to you. So uh, final stat line for these guys, Jeremiah Masoli, 24 of 41. So that's below 60% completion rate, which is not great. Obviously the two interceptions, one at the end of the game, he's forcing the one of Willie Jefferson flying out underneath him. I've thrown that interception before as a quarterback. It's one of the worst feelings in the world. And I'm not going to sit here and say Jeremiah's trash and what an awful throw and they should put Dane in right away. I think Jeremiah's earned the right to try and have a run. Now, ask my fiance Marlene, she'll tell yeah. you something different because she's watching the game. She's going, what the hell? Why, why don't they put Dane in? I'm like, yeah, give Jeremiah some time. Uh, but that interception where a defensive end flies out underneath, it makes you feel awful because your eyes are on the receiver and you're looking through coverage. Problem is with Willie Jefferson that you can't look through Willie Jefferson, right? And so he he picks that ball off, and that hurts Jeremiah's final stat line. But Acklin ends up with seven catches on 11 targets, 98 yards. And he only had five yards after the catch. He had 98 yards. 93 of them were air yards in this game. So I thought that he was really impressive. Uh, that's the Hamilton side of things. What did you see from them? Yeah, um, Jalen Acklin, I thought, played very well. Um, for me, outside of that first drive, it was a continuation of the 2019 Great Cup. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. Ticats offensive line really struggled to handle pressure. Um, I thought they did well on that first drive. And then outside of that, um, there were breakdowns. And I thought individual breakdowns. I didn't think collectively they were all that bad. Um, I just thought guys missed blocks. Um, there was one sack. I think it was the first sack of the game in the second half, even though Jeremiah was pressured, they didn't really bring him down. And we could talk about the Ticats defensive line, getting pressure on Zach Kalaros, but not bringing him down. Mm -hmm. And it flashed me back to 2018 Ticats. Cause I'm like, Oh, 
This is what the 2018 defense did. They get pressure on a quarterback, but could never bring him down. And then they go out and get Ja'Gary Davis and Dylan Wynn. And in 2019, that changed. But for whatever reason, that first game, and it could be the injury to Ted Laurent or, or something along those lines. I think that it was led just to Zach, that. Zach runs backwards 30 yards. But you like, can't over and over again allow him to roll to a strong side, to that right side, because he's as good a, of a quarterback I've seen in the past you know, 10 years rolling to his right. He's better when he's yes. rolling to his right than he is in the pocket. For me. So I, I'm so glad you brought this up, Kyle, because something that I was reminded of, and there's going to be a lot of this in the first month of the season is us figuring out who people are and what their strengths and weaknesses are again. And Zach, when, when I talk about him running backwards, 10, 15, 20 yards, he does that just to draw you in, just to lengthen the angles, just to tire you out because he's just going to keep going back and forth and back and forth. And then he'll turn to his throwing arm side and get out and make a great throw. He's He is the most dangerous person, I think, rolling to his throwing arm side. Yeah. I was also reminded, though, and I'm glad you brought this up because I had forgotten to bring it up. Bo Levi Mitchell, I remember now why it's terrible to rush upfield with him and only rush three or four. Because if you let Bo step up in the pocket, and he takes that little, like, you know, two-step stride looking down the field. Yeah, that little hop before yeah, he to, to go. To Kamar yeah. Jordan down the middle of the field where he dropped a dime in, and Kamar Jordan went up and made him look really good on it. But when he has a chance to step up, and he's actually, like, his hips are downhill running, it's freaky how good he is being able to launch that. But Brady Oliveira, uh, obviously the main storyline yeah. here because, I mean, Zach still ends up with 217, two touchdowns, clean game. But like you say, it was just a continuation of the 2019 Grey Cup in that sense. Oliveira yeah. was 22 carries. A lot of that was in the fourth quarter where he was grinding it out. But again, I'm not going to penalize a guy for being able to put up a great performance when they're trying to chew some clocks. So he goes 22 carries for 126. That's a juicy average of 5.7. He only had a long run of 15 yards, but he controlled the game. And I was actually really happy on the other backfield to see Sean Thomas Erlington in. Not necessarily super explosive way that we've seen Sean Thomas Erlington play early in seasons in 2018, 2019 before he had injuries. But I was I was really encouraged by the way that he was moving because I think there's so much potential still there with him in the backfield. He only yeah. had nine, nine carries for 29 yards. So there was nothing special, but it was nice to see him on the field because he was a really important part of their early season in 2019. And for him to get back on the field, I thought, uh, that that gives them some flexibility because obviously Don Jackson's supposed to be the guy there. I believe he's on the injured list to start things yep. out. And uh, and then they've got uh, Sean Thomas Erlington that should be the backup when Don Jackson comes in. But I got no hesitations to say that Sean Thomas Erlington is one of, if not the best backup running back in the league when Don Jackson comes back in. Yeah, and Sean Thomas Erlington, I thought, did a very good job, especially on that first drive when it seemed the Ticats offense was destined for a good day um, picking up blitzes. There was a couple of uh, plays where he stepped across in front of Jeremiah, picked up the rusher, and Jeremiah was able to you know, make the throw, and, and including the touchdown to Jalen Acklin. Um, now let's get into the juice of what went wrong and yeah. for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Yeah. This is not a disparaging remark on Jeremiah, but there is something that he does that somewhat annoys me. Even when the pocket is there, he does this thing where he floats backwards. And by the time he's releasing, his weight is not completely on his front foot and the ball sails because of it. For example, there was two screen passes in the game. The second one, you could tell Brandon Banks was pissed off because Brandon Banks is like, dude, like I had blockers in front of me. I was open. I can make a play and you overthrow me. 
He did it twice. The second one that kind of pissed off Brandon Banks, and I think it was Jackson Jeffcoat who was the free rusher. You know this. You're a quarterback. If you're throwing a screen pass to that side, you let the end come in. That tackle, you know, gets out in the space. The guard follows him. They had Travante and Brandon Reverberg out in front of Brandon Banks. And Jeremiah overthrows Brandon Banks. And people on Twitter were like, yeah, but he had the rusher in his face. Yeah, but that's the draw up of the play. Yeah. You're supposed to dump it over the guy's head into your receiver's arms. And look, that could just be Jeremiah hasn't played football in so long. I'm hoping that's the case. And in week two, he can figure it out. Um, I wasn't in the camp of, oh, let's bench Jeremiah now. Because I think if you're going to make that swift of an action, he should have never started in the first place. Right? right? There's going to be some growing pains. And let's be honest. Dane Evans didn't fare a lot better in 2019 against that defense. You know, Dane could have come in and done the exact same thing. Yeah. And, and this is this is my point that I wanted to make about Hamilton and the struggle there of everyone saying, can they go undefeated? You know, because uh, they're such a talented roster, so much continuity, hosting the Grey Cup and all of these things. And for them to lose the first night, I think a lot of people will think, oh, what an emotional crash. What a huge letdown. Oh, and now they're going to you know, be reeling for the rest of the season. I think there'll be a little bit of that, but I think this has so much more to do with two things. One is not being healthy. Like when we saw the injury reports coming out throughout the week, it's like Carol Brooks was a really important part of that defensive yeah. backfield, not playing Channing Stribling being in there who Stribling struggled. Let's Strib- be honest. He made Stribling- some plays, but there was a couple of times, even on the touchdown where he didn't make the play. Yeah. But Carol Brooks is an established boundary halfback yeah. who understands the CFL game and Channing Stribling is a journeyman. He's been in every league that exists over the last three years that I've I seen. will say so- something that uh, uh, about the, you know, on the broadcast Suter kept saying it was Suter that did the game. Correct. Uh, yeah. But and ha- it yeah. Was, Hamilton uh, went to pay. It was yeah. Rod, Rod Black and Suter. Yeah. yeah so Suter made the comment of, Oh, you know, Channing Stribling, he's the new guy in the secondary, but not really. He's been with the Ticats, I believe on two different occasions. <laughs> two years he was on the, he was on the, on the team, on the practice roster. He was cut. And then they signed him again because we always used to talk about it on TSN, how he had the most preppy name in the history of the CFL Channing Stribling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the idea of Delvin Brown retiring and then Carrie Brooks not being in there. I thought Jamal Roll did a pretty good job, held his own. Yeah. Um, but the I real... thought Frankie Williams played pretty well. Yeah, he did too. I, it's weird seeing him wearing number one though, isn't it? <laughs> like it threw me off in that whole game. But the real root of the issue here for Hamilton, and this is why I think that playing against Winnipeg in week one is an unfair assessment, the same way that I think playing as a young Canadian quarterback in Saskatchewan against that crowd noise, not knowing you were going to be starting, is also an unfair assessment of Nathan Rourke, which we'll get to in a second. But the tackles for Hamilton, and it's not that they are atrocious. It's just that I was pulling for the story of KO before because I think he's got a great opportunity in front of him. And this is what you wish for when you are a CFL player who's developing an auto-practice roster for several years, as he's been since he was drafted in like 2016 or 17. He was a defensive lineman from St. FX who gets drafted by the Eric Tillman and Ken Austin regime. Big, strong guy, athletic, has no clue how to play offensive line, has never played offensive line, gets a chance to play offensive line, starts to learn behind other people. And in this game, I think that he started at tackle as much for his length to try and combat what Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat were throwing at him as he started for his understanding of the way to to operate and try and actually pass for that because he's still raw. 
Like he hasn't fully refined, and you could say that about anybody. Chris Van Zyl is still trying to figure out how to get better day in, day out. I feel like he's but, been with the tie cats enough that yeah, but he his should, toolkit, yeah. like Chris Van Zyl's toolkit is so much larger yeah. to work with in pass protection and understanding pass rushers than Kaoka for. And I have to admit, I I wasn't watching that singular position, the tackle spots really closely during the game. The odd time you'd see a replay, or whatever. But when I was sitting at my computer doing work after the game and I looked up and they were showing the sports center highlights and they showed Masoli kind of like a, a hit reel of him getting bopped around a couple of times. And there was a couple of moments this weekend that made me cringe. And one of them was Kayoka for just getting treated like a toddler essentially by Willie Jefferson. And I'm not even talking physically because Kayoka for can compete physically with Willie Jefferson. I know that sounds crazy, but if you've seen or stood next to K.O. before the way Kyle and I have, you know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. he, is, he is an amazing physical creature. But Willie Jefferson gave him just this like ninja karate hand, <laughs> like came off the ball, took two steps, threw his head one direction, went stop, stop, stop. And just like stop, stop, stop. And his hands were gone. And K.O. before just like lunged and his head was in front of his knees and his hands were like out in front of him. And he just whiffed. And then Willie Jefferson went running past and almost forced a fumble on the blind side of Jeremiah. And I was like, oh, man. And I just was yeah. sitting at my, I was sitting at my computer. I'm like, God damn, I want so badly for him to do well. And I want him to have Did a great career. And I just, you see a, a clip like that and you're like, okay, but what else was I going to expect? Was he yeah. going to dominate Willie Jefferson the entire game? No, Willie Jefferson is incredible. So I, that's why I think it's an unfair assessment of the Ticats offense and also of how good the tackle spot is with Tate and Okafor right now yep. is, is that playing that team in week one in that environment on a night where they're unveiling a banner and the energy in the stadium of the return of CFL football, that's not a good look at what K Okafor is or can be. With that being said, not good enough. And that, yeah. was, that was the biggest problem for me on offense. That's like the toughest task in the CFL in terms of ends, right? Willie Jefferson, Jackson, Jeffcoat, those yes. guys are, are you know studs. And the way that line works together, very good. Um, you know, I was trying to calm people down on, on Twitter a little bit with the play of the offensive line. Chris Van Zyl coming in is going to help the Ticats solidify the right side of that line. Um, I actually thought Jesse Gibbon was okay. Um, I didn't think he was fantastic. There was a couple of times he whiffed on a couple of tackles, but that's going to happen, right? Um, I think Trevante might be an issue for the Ticats. And that's not to disparage Trevante. Jackson Jeffcoat's a hell of a defensive end, and I understand that. Yeah. But you're going to face great ends in this league and Trevante there was numerous times where I thought he just whiffed miss blocks and there's nobody else that can step into that left tackle spot so for the Ticats I think this is going to be a storyline kind of all year you lose Riker Matthews that's a massive loss mm -hmm. and you know obviously the Ticats loss is BC's gain um, on the depth chart they had him you know playing on the right side of their offensive line and I'm thinking, okay, what's going to happen with the Ticats if they can't solidify this, this tackle position? If Trevante continues to struggle, and again, it's only one week, he can bounce back. I understand that. But let's say the struggles do continue. I think the only other left tackle they have or other tackle they have that can fill that spot. Yes, they have Kay Okafer, but Kay Okafer struggled on the right side. I don't think they're going to put him on the left side. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think the only other guy is Jordan Murray, a guy who has never really played in the CFL. Like, we're this is might be a struggle for the Ticats that they have to maybe bring somebody in um during the season to solidify that side 
And that's kind of a paralyzing position to be in when you have Jeremiah Masoli, who's coming back from an injury. Yes, it was a long time ago still. And now if the struggles at quarterback continue, you might have a quarterback controversy, right or as wrong as that is. You know, facts are facts and reality is reality. And maybe Orlando Steinauer has a lot more work to do early on in the season than they thought he did. Um, but that offensive line, it's going to be some growing pain, especially with Dario Sirocco, you know, moving to, to center. Again, I thought Sirocco was fine. Um, I think there was one play, there was a miscommunication and he missed the block um, and pressure came right up the middle. But um, outside of that, I think it was individual mistakes more than it was as a cohesive unit. And I guess that's the bright side of, you know, the Ticats uh, defeat um, against Winnipeg, where we knew that was going to be a tough game. Absolutely knew that was going to be a tough game uh, going into, you know, uh, Winnipeg with a full house and the energy in the building, you know, unveiling that great cup banner and people wanting to watch football again. So if you're the Ticats, the only thing that sucks right now is you, you don't get home until Labor Day. And that's a long road uh, to deal with uh, before you get to play in front of your home crowd. And you got to start reeling wins together because it is only a 14 game season. Yes, it is a long you know, season, long way to go. But look at week one. Ottawa got to win. Toronto got to win. Montreal hasn't played yet. It's kind of a paralyzing position for the Ticats. <laughs> Ticats dead last in the CFL's East <laughs> Division at yeah. the end of week one. But uh, I, I could not believe. I actually turned to my television and yelled, what? When I heard Rod Black say, Jeremiah Masoli says the knee feels great. He won't even wear a brace on it. I was like, oh, uh, that weirded me out a little bit. But again, I hope that he stays healthy and all the rest. The um, uh, I also, I can't stop thinking about, I was about to say, you know, Darius Sirocco, I can't believe how seamlessly he moved into center. Um, I shouldn't be surprised by anything Darius Sirocco does because I've been amazed by him ever since he came to McMaster on a recruiting trip and somebody at my house was hosting and he walked <laughs> through the door and I just shrugged at him and I was like, so, cause you see a 300 pound high school kid and you're like, you guys all look the same. Like, yeah, but he know. has a baby face. He still has a baby face. Right. And so I watched <laughs> it and I've, the number of times I had seen offensive line recruits walk in to go like hang out or have dinner with somebody or go over to Boston pizza with the coaching staff or whatever it might be. And you never know if they're any good or not. So I just, yeah. I, I got introduced. Hi, I'm Darius. I'm from Burlington. Yeah. Whatever kid. Cool. Like we're going out to have drinks or something like that on Friday night. And then I find out later, Oh, he went to the university of Calgary and he was really good. Maybe I should have cared more about Darius Sirocco coming to my house on a recruiting trip. <laughs> Maybe he could have helped us. He's, he's a really good player. I hope he has success at center. I hope he's there for a long time because the Ticats organization from Marwan Hage to Mike Filer and beyond. I mean, it's the yeah. center, center position has been one of those spots that's kind of iconic with them. To answer your question about where they could go here, just to wrap up the Ticats conversation, because we do want to get to all these other games, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think Jesse Gibbon plays tackle really soon. Uh, really? I, yeah. You think I, he has the length to play tackle? Yeah, he, and I know that he does because I've seen him play U sports. And he, this is what's interesting about... I wouldn't even be shocked if he plays tackle in week two at Saskatchewan coming up this Saturday night, 10 p.m. on TSN 1. If Van Zyl can't go again? If Van Zyl can't go, I wouldn't be shocked to see him. And again, this is not me saying, oh, my God, Kayoka is the worst football player ever. But what I'm Ooh, saying. Do we see Woodmancy already? Well, this is where I'm <laughs> going with this, is that I believe that the Ticats went with Kayoka for at the tackle spot strictly for his athleticism and ability to just physically battle with Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat. I think they looked at that and they said, 
we can put somebody who's in there that's more technically skilled, but they're less athletic, we're going to lose more battles. Let's at least put somebody in who has a, a fighter's chance to go up against Jefferson and Jeff and Jeffco. And so KO Kafour did, but obviously he gets the ninja hand moves and all of a sudden all that goes out the window. I think if you're looking at a more normal defensive end setup that you're going against, Jesse Gibbon has experience at tackle. He's been an exceptional tackle before. K.O. Kafour has been learning how to play offensive tackle in the pros for four or five years. Jesse Gibbon knows how to play tackle. And in his rookie year in 2019, Jesse Gibbon was glued to the hip of Chris Van Zyl. Like Jesse Gibbon knows that he wants to be a tackle and he knows how to play tackle. And I think he's going to get a chance to do it in the CFL really soon. And if he goes from right guard to right tackle, I don't think they just kick Okafor inside. I think we see Coulter Woodmancy. Although he's, again, I feel like I'm taking shots at people. I don't mean to. This is not the purpose of this. But I saw Coulter Woodmancy in on a short yardage play in this game in week one. And my first thought was, wow, he seems kind of skinny uh, for an offensive lineman. Yeah. I was like, he's athletic. I get it. I'm like, and I've seen him throw people around in new sports. I was like, that looks like a body that could probably put on like another 15, 20 pounds of like solid, healthy weight. I'm not asking him to throw on that yeah. Joe, Joe Thomas 50 pounds of fat. Uh, but I, I would love to see him bulk up a little bit. But I mean, he might slot into right guard depending on what they want to do. And if that's the case, what happens and, to Van Zyl when well, he comes then, back? Well, my thinking is that like you could really flex your ratio on offense and let you load up your receiver spots with America. Because think about it, when Posey comes back, I don't want to go too deep on the roster here, but if you go across from left tackle to right tackle with Van Zyl, Revenberg, Sirocco, Woodmancy, and Jesse Gibbon at right tackle, if you do that, then you've opened up these other spots because you're going to end up starting a, a Canadian at free safety and you're going to go with a Canadian at probably, I don't know, where, else could, where else could they go? I mean, they could go running back with Sean Thomas, Arlington, Jackson, Bennett, and Malik. That's already Thomas. six. Unger yeah. makes a seven. Yeah, but my thinking is like, you can take Unger out and put Posey in there. And now it's Jalen Marshall, Brandon Banks, Devere Posey, Jalen Ackland, Braylon Addison, Marcus Tucker backing it. Like, I think they could go five receivers. Yeah. Regardless, you have a Canadian good. safety, right? Right. You got Daly or a delicate. And that gets you to six, and then you just got to find one other spot to go to seven. So anyways, that's I think that's a potential for the Ticats going into uh, yeah. week number two. So. The only thing that I would say to that is Van Zyl is, I think I'm comfortable in saying this, Van Zyl is on the second half of his career, right? Van Zyl is the team, ultimate team guy. Mm -hmm. If you ask him to play left tackle, he's going to do it, right? But is that something you want to ask Chris Van Zyl, who has been you know, a mainstay at right tackle during his entire career, to say, hey, listen, we're struggling a left tackle. We believe, I think every Ticats fan believes, Chris Van Zyl is our best tackle. Left or right, he is our best tackle. Yeah, We're going to now put him on the left side, make it a five Canadian offensive line, because we've been kind of forced to because of struggles from some people on the offensive line. Um, I don't know if I want to put Chris Van Zyl in that position if I'm Orlando Steinauer, but if the team gets desperate enough and they can't find somebody to fill in at left tackle, Chris Van Zyl might be your starting left tackle all season long. Yeah, yeah, it could absolutely be in that spot. And again, I don't mean to discount Trevon Tate. Uh, I hate writing people off after one week. I don't care if it's your starting quarterback or your third string will linebacker. Yeah. That's an American. That's an exchangeable body. I just, I want to give people time, especially coming out of the pandemic. We are just theorizing about where, where they could go from here and certainly not time to press panic, but 
winning a game in Saskatchewan is not something the Ticats have done very much of in the last five years. And Masoli hasn't been super successful. They've come close. <laughs> yeah, they've come close several times. There was there was uh, tilting the ball gate, I remember. Oh, yeah, Filer. Final game at, uh, at Old Mosaic Stadium where Mike Filer got called for that late in the game. And, yeah, there's been some doozies out there. Fajardo diving for the pylon, I think, in 2019, relatively early in the season, was another one where it's like it goes right down to the end and Saskatchewan finds a way. So, uh, that will be a fun one. Let's talk about Saskatchewan here as they end up getting the victory. 33-29 is the final. Kyle, you mentioned it. They were up huge in this one. I believe the, the largest point spread they were up was 30-31, something like that, if I'm not mistaken. I know it was 28-0, but I think with a couple of couple of rouges or a safety or something like that, they had their score up in that area before uh, BC starts to come back in. Now, Marshall Ferguson here for my friends at Force to Joni. Some of their specials coming up in the next little while. You're going to want to be a part of them. Triple bogey contest giveaway. $5 tall cans of triple bogey lager and amber. And every triple bogey sold will be a ballot into a draw to win some great golf prizing, including a grand prize of a custom triple bogey golf bag. They've got lamb spadini on the barbecue on the patio once every couple of weeks. You can find full updates on their Instagram page at 4.stagioni. That's at F-O-R-E dot S-T-A-G. I-O-N-E. And if you're on the gram, don't forget to post some pictures of their new summer drink menu, including daily drink deals such as Sangria Saturdays, Corona Buckets, and $9 Classic Cocktails. Oh, man, what a game. This Honestly, this, this was such peak CFL. For people that are new to the league, I'm so happy this game happened on a Friday night in prime time because <laughs> I re- I'm, I'm real with you on this. Like, this league to me is, and I heard Jim Barker say it on the, on the CFL and TSM panel after the Edmonton-Ottawa game on Saturday night. He said, you know, this game was peak CFL because it's kind of sleepy back and forth. And, you know, there's some great plays being made. And it's, uh, you might think it's just a, a boring battle of defenses. He's like, but it comes down to the final minute. And inside three minutes, anything can happen. It's a one-score game and it's great entertainment. When BC was asleep at the wheel to start the game, because they were just shell-shocked by the fact that their starting franchise big-money quarterback was not in the game. Uh, that, to me, I'm looking at it, I'm like, this game is not over. And I heard people, I think it was Suter on the broadcast on that one too, who said, you might want to start thinking about getting Isaac Harker in there. I'm like, the hell you are. I'm like, <laughs> this is the second quarter in the CFL. I'm like, I get the mentality. But man, there is a lot to be uh, to be gained from BC being risky and taking chances and trying to fight their way back in here just to send a message, just to see who you are. And I think Rick Campbell and what he did with the quarterback decision, which we'll get to in a second, is aside from that, the actual spirit of the BC Lions, I thought in week one, was just trying to discover who you are in an impossible environment to even communicate. Like, either quarterback, whether it's the rookie or the 10 plus year veteran in Michael Rudd going in there, having to go on a silent count with that crowd noise around against a, a decently explosive pass rush. I, I just felt like that was such a tough environment for them to battle through. And they did like they battled back into the game with that being said, I need to get on my soapbox for one second here, Kyle, if you'll allow me on Nathan Rourke. Okay. <laughs> uh, and the reason I need to do this about Nathan Rourke is that, I could talk forever about him. I'm sure that Derek Taylor and I will talk lots about him coming up in the breakdown on Wednesday. I know for a fact that Wade and Connor got something for you coming up on Tuesday's all Canadian, like a Canadian quarterback comes in and looks legit. We're going to talk about it on a Canadian football podcast network. That's based in Canada. Okay. My, my one takeaway though, cause I could talk for an hour 
about what happened in this game. I, I was not happy with the fact that Michael Riley came in because Nathan Rourke was the better of the two quarterbacks in that spot. Everybody's saying Michael Riley willed them back into it. No, Nathan Rourke was put in in the end of the game to drive down the field and score that beautiful touchdown throw to Brian Burnham because he was the best quarterback on the field for DC that day. Mm-hmm. He deserved to stay in the game the entire time. They made that decision to start the game. I have great respect for Michael Riley. I understand that if he says he's good to go, you're going to put him in. But there needs to be some realization of your best opportunity to win. And Mike Riley even said that after the game was done to Farhan Lalji on the sideline interview. I didn't want to hurt the team. I thought Nathan gave us the best opportunity to win, and I wanted to do what was best for the group. He said, we went in at halftime, and we did something, whatever it was, to manage my elbow to the point where I felt like I could give it a go. And he did. But holy hell, the balls that he was throwing up uh, in this game, they were spinning backwards and sideways. And I could, <laughs> I could read the laces from outer space because they were wobbling on either end of the ball. It was unbelievable to see a quarterback of that talent not being able to get anything on the ball, anything at all. It was so, yeah. so strange. And it was so shocking because when Rourke came back into the game, he was zipping it. Like the, one of the first balls he has is a, a throw over the middle to Brian Burnham at about 18 yards right down the near hash mark. And the ball comes out of his hand and just jumps. It's like watching a pitcher who ratchets it up and all of a sudden goes from 96 to 104 with the fastball. And you're like, whoa. And, and, just, and the look, catcher's standing up to try to catch it. <laughs> yeah, it. It looks so, so different coming out of his hand. And when Nathan Rourke came in, I tweeted out, hey, look, a ball with some zip. And yeah. I'm not taking a shot at Riley. What I'm doing there was saying, man, the kid has got what you need to succeed in this league, which brings me to my conclusion on this. Cause again, I could talk forever and ever and ever and ever about this. And I know it's great to have a podcast, but I don't want to bore people with all this. And I, I should probably save it for later in the week as I continue to formulate all of my feelings about Nathan Rourke. Cause I think we're going to see him for a little while here, depending on Riley's elbows health. I don't want people that are in and around the CFL to fall into the boring, lazy narrative of well, he's a Canadian quarterback. He's starstruck and he's really struggling to find his footing. Nah, no, he's different. Screw yeah. that. Yeah. So like screw that so hard. There is absolutely no way that that should be the talking point in the game, out of the game, going into the next game. I don't give a damn. If you know anything about Nathan Rourke, you watch his footwork. You watch how quiet and calm he is in the pocket. You look how he gets through his progressions, his eye discipline, his ability to move free safeties his release, like the whole package is there. This is not a joke. This is not a one-off and it's absolutely not going to be, well, that was a flash in the pan. Like, you know, Brandon Bridge came in, he did his thing for a while, super athletic, made some good throws here and there, but sporadic and up and down and him and KG go back and forth. The riders, he's in Montreal and he's good. And then he's not good in Montreal and he gets replaced. And then this is, this is not that, you know, Andrew Buckley got his shot in Calgary before he decided to retire, probably could have stayed and had a better career. But even when he would go in, it was like, well, Andrew Buckley's a really damn good Canadian quarterback, but Andrew Buckley is not in Nathan Rourke's league. And I don't know where Michael O'Connor goes on this sliding scale of Canadians yet. I haven't seen enough of him in the CFL. I watched him in week 21 of the 2019 season for Toronto. Didn't look great, but he also had like 10 snaps. Like, I'm not going to judge somebody off 10 snaps. When I saw Rourke in this game and I saw the environment that he's in, anybody who's ever played quarterback knows You go into a crazy place like that in your rookie season, in your first game, and you unexpectedly get told you're going to start. You are not going to play at your best. What does he do? Sure, starts the game slow, two and out, two and out, 25 snaps for Saskatchewan in the first quarter to to BC's four, but then he settles in. 
And when he settled in and he had a relatively clean pocket, this dude makes real legitimate CFL professional quarterback throws. I don't give a damn about the Maple Leaf at that point. I'll wave it as hard as I can because I love him and I love the story. But when I saw what he did in the fourth quarter, Kyle, there were two or three second and tens on that drive in the fourth quarter where he ends up throwing that beautiful corner dime to Brian Burnham, where he is staring into coverage. He's looking through defenders. He sees the pressure coming. He's getting the ball out quickly. He's, he's a professional quarterback. It's, I don't want people to treat him like another Canadian quarterback story. Hey, here's Will Finch. Will he yeah. get an opportunity? Hey, here's Kyle Quinlan. Is he going to get his run? Here's Kyle Graves out of Acadia with the Alouettes. Is he got a chance? Hey, Brad Sinopoli out of the University of Ottawa with Calgary. Maybe he'll get a chance one day. It's like, no, Rourke is so much better than what we have seen. The quality and the, the potential of him, given the right circumstances and surroundings. And I'll tell you one thing, having somebody who's as mature and as great a leader as Michael Riley is, that could not be a better situation for him to learn under. So I'm just so proud to see the way that he handled the moment. And you might say, well, he looked immature or, you know, he didn't produce as much as you would want to. I don't give a damn. The process was there. The result, the result was not right. He ends up the game 10 for 18, 55%, 194 yards, two picks, two touchdowns. He leaves a ball inside on an out route. Another one, he's forcing the ball late in the game and gets picked off on the middle of the throw field throw. But the process, for the most part, that I saw there, man, that that dude's ceiling is so so high. Yeah, he's you know so young, and he did show you know some promise in that game. And there's a lot of guys who have, whether they're Canadian or not, have come into the Canadian Football League, whether they were third string, a second string, and they've been thrown in, and rarely ever in week one, they've been thrown in after a long time off, and. They're at least showing something. They're flashing, right? Mike Mayock yeah. always said that, right? Do you flash on tape? Yeah. I want to see you flash on tape. If you're not flashing, that means you're not doing anything. And if it doesn't mean you're not making mistakes, it doesn't mean that you know you're, you're making mistakes, but you're not doing anything, you know, above and beyond to win a football game or to help at your position. And he's done that. Um, I remember in 2019. I, I talked to Malik Irons and I asked Malik Irons, how good is Nathan Rourke? Because he was his teammate out Ohio. And Irons said, he's really good. Like he can be really good in this league. Screw that he's Canadian. Yeah. He's just a quarterback, yeah. right? And that's what drives me nuts. Like we see Nathan Rourke and his resume in college and it was a hell of a resume. Three bowl wins at the freaking Ohio. He was a bobcat. <laughs> and this guy was reeling off bowl game wins, right? I don't care if they're against, you know, Coastal Carolina. How dare you games... disparage the good name of Frank Solich? How dare you? <laughs> oh, wait, because I'm, this is not to disparage the good people at Central Washington, but Mike Riley coming into the CFL, we only hold Nathan Rourke as a negative because, oh, he's a Canadian quarterback and we have no success to go off of in the last Ah, since Rush Jackson, <laughs> right? Like that is, you know, the, the reality of the situation. But Mike Riley played a Central Washington. Good college quarterback, came into the CFL at the beginning, had his struggles, and then turns in to be a star. What's to say Nathan Rourke can't do that? Yes, and Nathan yeah. Rourke played at Ohio. I don't want to compare Ohio football to no, Central but Washington, I mean- but I say, yeah, Ohio's probably a better football program and, you know, a uh, development of talent better than Central Washington, like Mike Riley. Again, not to disparage yeah. good people at Central Washington. I, I mean, yeah, Bo Levi and Matt Nichols are Eastern Washington guys. Dave Dickinson came out of, like, Wyoming. I mean, there's you can come from wherever, but my thing is, 
I, I do not, I will not allow people to treat him as a Canadian quarterback story. And I'm not saying to not care that he's Canadian. What I'm saying is there was a pack, I think, on, on TSN during the game of how Nathan Rourke's game went. It was, you know, he's a little bit scared in the pocket. No, 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 no. Do not take the result as the equation of, well, here's what I saw. So this must be what this means. You have to know who he is and what he is as a player. And you can look at the result and say, okay, that's, that's an interesting you know, data point for me to analyze. But the result is not who he is. The process is who he is. And his process, I think, is absolutely second to none. If you were an American quarterback, just throw this out there for people to think about. If you were an American quarterback and he came into the game and he led a fourth quarter drive like that, we wouldn't be having the conversation of, well, I wonder if he'll get some more reps depending on what Riley's elbow does. Yeah. There, the conversation would be like Dane Evans is in Hamilton coming out of 2019. Of, is he the quarterback of the future? Like, and we're not doing that with Nathan Rourke right now because, yeah, it's one week and it's premature. Well, and yeah, and I get that totally. That's fair. But what I'm saying is we need to stop as Canadians thinking of that position and having a, a player that is one of our own at that position, the most important position in all of sports, need to stop thinking about it as second rate or questioning it or one. No, you've got an amazing one in Nathan Rourke. Celebrate it. I'm, I almost damn near ordered a Nathan Rourke jersey on Friday night. <laughs> I mean, for real, I was just like, I was so excited. And again, I'm calling the BC Lions game against the Ottawa Red Blacks in week four. I hope Michael Riley's healthy. I don't want anything bad for Michael Riley. I love that guy so much. But I'd love to call a Nathan Rourke game. <laughs> like, His I, first win in the yeah, CFL, potentially. Yeah. If, if I get a Nathan Rourke game on television as play-by-play, all of this enthusiasm that you hear or you are seeing on our YouTube page just oozing out of me, yeah, it's going to soak your television. I'm sorry you're going to have to <laughs> order a new television because it's going to be broken because the ooze is going to be thick. It's going to be heavy. Okay, so one gross. last... I didn't mean yeah. for that to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Theater of the mind. That's what yeah. we always say in radio, right? Um, the one last thing to, to wrap up this game. One, let's remember what the BC Lions were in 2019, especially early on in the season. Yeah. They were beyond bad. Mike Riley was running for his life the entire season before Brian Chu got fired and Kelly Bates got brought in as offensive line, and they improved a little bit but they were still kind of bad. What was your perception and your analysis of offensive line play and protection for the BC Lions? Early on, I thought, like, I'm like, ooh, we're in for another long run with yeah. this team this season. <laughs> uh, I wonder, but again, that environment is so impossible. Like, I, know. I, I cannot imagine being in that spot and, and trying to ask somebody to, to handle that. I do think the one thing that's really going to solidify BC Lions protection schemes this year is Peter Godbarrett's center. Uh, he is a really, really talented offensive lineman, manning the middle. And again, it's, you know, we talk about Darius Sirocco and Hamilton and his potential and how he seamlessly fit in there. Sirocco, to me, is a guard who's being asked to play center on short notice, and he'll learn it, and I'm sure he'll become very, very good at it. Peter Godbear already knows how to play center. Like yeah. Peter Godbear is a center at heart, and so for him to be there, Riley was raving about him in training camp a couple of different times that I had heard or I had read. Uh, but they have that and they've got Riker Matthews and I'm not a huge fan of Joel Figueroa. Like he's been around the league for a long time. I was shocked to see he was on the left side of the line. (laughs) Yeah. I like, and I get it. He's got the size and all the rest, but there's, there's just, 
to me, there's got to be better options out there, younger options perhaps. But, I mean, he's still in the league for a reason. Hunter Stewart, I think, is such a great fit there. I hope he's healthy. I saw he got dinged in that game on Friday. But uh, And then Soup Chung is – I think he's had to reshape himself since he left Winnipeg, both physically and in his style of play. It's a funny mix and match on that offensive line, but the thing that's going to be the constant and to keep it health, healthy all year long is going to be Peter Godbear. Like, if he is healthy – Everything will flow through him. He will make the calls at the line of scrimmage. He'll communicate with Riley or with Rourke. Uh, and he gives them a chance, I think, to have a vastly improved season. Because he was dinged, right, in 2019. He didn't play very many games, I don't believe. So for him to be in there and consistent. And the, the one thing I actually Kyle, I wanted to mention here as well that I thought was interesting with BC's offense specifically was Lucky Whitehead. And I know the long touchdown was obviously the big splashy play. But mm-hmm. I have been talking ever since. There's always a couple of signings in free agency where you go, wow, that could be a really important signing for them. I, I see the vision, I think, even way back in February, you know, five, six months before we usually get to a season, you see the vision, you go, wow, that would be an interesting one. Okay. Lucky Whitehead in Winnipeg was basically used like Brandon Banks was in 2015, 16 in Hamilton. He was the toy, right? He was the speed sweeps and the screens and the little stuff. And when I saw how many plays he was making throughout training camp, and I was talking to some people from NBC about this, and they said he's just a receiver. He's not being used like the little shiny toy that you get out once every 17 plays. He's just playing. And I talked about this with Derek Taylor on the breakdown on Wednesdays here on CFP, and we said, well, who are you going to take off the field? Because we thought it was going to be uh, Johnson at the wide side with Dominique Grimes and Lamar Durant, uh, you know, Brian Burnham, and then Javon. Burnham's still the premier receiver oh, of that core. He's, he's so good, man. I, I could watch him play football all day. If, if every team wants to sign Brian Burnham so we can watch him play in every game, I'm in. Because <laughs> he is so much fun to watch. But we were wondering, who are you going to take off the field in order to make room for Lucky Whitehead? And basically the answer was that Lamar Durant has outplayed Javon Katoy for that inside slot back to the field role which has opened up Lucky Whitehead to work in the boundary with Brian Burnham. And Lucky Whitehead was running good routes, getting open, and making really good, strong hands catches. And I was like, man, that, that to me just screams Banks. I'm not saying he's going to have Banks levels productivity, yeah. but, I, but I believe that he is going to be a really nice piece. I think at the end of the year, you're going to see number one in receiving is going to be Brian Burnham for the BC Lions. I think two and three, and I don't know which one it's going to be leading in those two, Dominique Grimes and Lucky Whitehead, I think they're both going to be in the top 15 of the league and they're going to be right side by side. Like they might be like ninth and 10th in the league and receive, yeah. depending on how much workload they get to burn them. But it was really fun to see him take on a new role and embrace it and look really natural just playing receiver. Yeah. And I think another thing to point out with Lucky Whitehead and the comparison to Brandon Banks, remember Brandon Banks went through a long period of time when Ken Austin was that coach of the Ticats where he was in a play, like you said. And then didn't play. He would yeah. get one catch a game, if that, or even one opportunity a game to play at the receiver position. But also, and I think Brandon Banks has said this before in the past, um, you know, being said no to by Kevin or by Kent Austin drove him to be better at the position, not only physically, but mentally. And Brandon Banks knows you know, how to play receiver in the Canadian Football League. And maybe that's where Lucky Whitehead falls short. But talent-wise, um, you know, just physical ability. Yes, I do see the parallel to, to Brandon Banks. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes here because we are long-winded idiots. Uh, and we're very excited to have the CFL back <laughs> in. Uh, we haven't even talked about the team that won this damn game, 33-29, which is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Let's save 
Saturday's games. Maybe we can record a little, uh, you know, a midweek podcast or something like that. We'll just chuck something out for people kind of recapping. Oh, okay. Can I, yeah, go ahead. Do you want to touch on any uh, aspect of the last two games? Because there's Uh, one thing I do want to say, because it's, it's been in my heart. I don't have historical evidence to back this up. Jamie Elizondo's debut as head coach of the Edmonton Elks. Yeah. That's going to take a long time to get used to. It's not, though. People keep saying that. I'm like, I'm already saying Michael Riley. Kate Burnett on the broadcast just said elk. She did not say the S (laughs) uh, one time. And then I think they told her in her headset. And she came back uh, the second time and said elks and like long winded the end of the word. (laughs) Um, I don't have historical evidence to back this up, but Jamie Elizondo probably had the worst debut for a head coach I can ever remember. Oh, wow. Like, ever remember. Save it. Can't believe it. We'll use it for a different pod, the middle of the week. We'll just, we'll chuck, we'll sprinkle a little something special out there (laughs) for people in the middle of the week because I do want to actually break Let's do it Tuesday then because I leave for a cottage on Wednesday. And I don't want to talk about CFL football to the birds and the fish at the cottage. <laughs> yeah, you deserve some downtime. So we will yes. do that on Tuesday for you. But I just want to talk quickly here for a couple of minutes about Saskatchewan because uh, I thought it was interesting how Cody Fajardo was so fired up at the end of that game, like flexing, screaming, pumping the crowd up, all the rest. And obviously he has played into the role of Saskatchewan's leading man very, very well thus far. He ends up going 80% completion rate in this game, which is like Trevor Harris type stuff, which is not surprising because Jason Moss came over and it's obvious already the impact that he had. But that offense, man, is they might not have the most toys to play with in the CFL at the skill positions, but Jason Moss is going to turn that offense into the most multiple thing in the CFL. And with all due Mm -hmm. respect to everything happening in Edmonton and what they're trying to cultivate in Hamilton went fully healthy. When I saw that on first and 10, they're going like full house backfield diamond. Like they're going essentially Keenan LaFrance in the backfield alongside fullback Albert Awachi and William Powell. And then the next play they're coming back and Braden Lenius, who looks incredible, by the way, Uh, he's my new CFL crush, I think both because he's vegan and because he just looks like he's a great receiver. Uh, But he like they come back and they go five wide and they can spread you out and go with Canadian receiver. Shaq Evans looks super quick out of his bricks. Kyron Moore looks really explosive. Jordan Williams Lambert is way bigger than I remembered him. Like when I saw him actually on the field making catches, I'm like, this dude is a monster. <laughs> um, so they have, they have a crazy amount of possibility in that offense. And Jason Moss, honestly, this is the thing I love. He'll just take a full house diamond backfield and he'll, he'll use it eight times in the first half and I'm watching the game live. I'm like, the hell is he doing? This is the CFL. Like we don't do this. And he's not even doing it like a diamond backfield where it's the slot backs are actually standing next to the quarterback. And then they're bursting out and they're actually just slots. He was actually playing with two running backs and a fullback. And they said before the game that he actually went down and met with Cody Fajardo when he was going to Baltimore, because he went to research Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense and how they use a running quarterback because he wanted to institute some of that for Cody Fajardo. I'm like, man, you watch what he's doing there. You're like, yeah, a fullback, two running backs and Cody Fajardo. But this is what Moss does so well. He sprinkles in eight plays, 10 plays of that second half. He basically goes away from it the entire second half. I know. He just he starts going five one, and I know they slowed down, and I know they didn't get a lot of first downs and all the rest. But he he does those things so well that force teams, you know, Hamilton coming in now in week number two, 
you've got to prepare for diamond full house. You've got to prepare for two running backs and a fullback. You've got to prepare for five wide. You've got to prepare for single tight end, double tight end, power formation, under center, triple option. I mean, they should have scored on a triple option, toss out wide to the running back, Marcus Murphy. Fajardo didn't see it. And the next play ends up going into the end zone with William Powell, I believe it was, but like they can throw everything at you. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see where the Riders offense goes, but I just wanted to give them some praise because they obviously yeah. did win the game. And I love the way that that offense is shaping up. As somebody that picked the Riders uh, with the points and obviously BC <laughs> got the backdoor cover, it's uh, I'm not pleased with the way that game finished. But I believe the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are going to be very good this year, especially that offense. And in the first half, I was proven right. I tweeted out before the game, and I tweeted out a lot of stuff about the CFL this weekend. Uh, Cody Fajardo was my pick uh, to win MOP this year. And I'm confident in that selection, even after week one. But I was also confident before, you know, the game started or any game started this week. I think in Hamilton, Jeremiah Masoli and Dane Evans, that question mark. I think both quarterbacks are going to play this year and they're going to both quarterbacks are going to start games this year. If that's the case, I think they cancel each other out for MOP. If the Ticats are very good through one week, obviously not a good start. Um, <laughs> and then you look around the CFL for some reason, I just don't think Bo Levi Mitchell is going to put up the numbers. Bo Levi is still going to get his, you know, touchdowns against interception yeah. ratio, but I don't think he's going to put up the yards needed to win an MOP. Brandon Banks last year, he had a stupid season. Just the statistics were just off the charts and he was an undeniable MOP compared to the group. If a quarterback's going to take it this year, name another quarterback that's going to take it over Cody Fajardo. When you look around the CFL in Winnipeg, maybe I Trevor love Zach Harris. I mean, but I mean, Trevor Harris in that first not through week one. No, again, and so, we're seven percent done the regular season already through one week. We're yeah. seven, we're seven percent done. So yeah, you've got to make an impact early. Yeah, and I don't know what Vernon Adams Jr. is going to do in Montreal, but is that sustainable for an entire year? We'll see. And is it going to be better production than the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? And I think that the fact of they're the biggest team in the CFL, notoriety-wise, yeah, I'm. if it comes down to votes, I'm going to say they're going to get the votes enough to you know uh, get their quarterback the MOP. It works like that in every sport, right? Eli Manning, is he a Hall of Famer? The fact that he weathered the waters in New York City and played in one of the biggest markets, I think matters a little bit. And Hall of Fame voters, they love New York. They love Los Angeles. They love those big cities. So hell yeah, he's going to get in the Hall of Fame. His brother's going to get in the Hall of Fame, you know, uh, just got in the Hall of Fame. So we'll see moving forward how this evolves. But yeah, I think Cody Fajardo is my MOP pick. And I thought through week one, in the first half, he played very well. I thought in week two, Jason Moss put the handcuffs on him and he needs to learn, hey, listen, in the CFL, anything can happen in a short amount of time. The BC Lions proved that. Yeah. I don't think it was ever a threat that Saskatchewan was going to lose the game. But, yeah, moving forward for Jason Moss, you know, keep your foot on their throats and try yeah. to put up 40, 50 points. Uh, right here on CFP coming up for you uh, on Tuesday at some point in your podcast feed or on our YouTube, which make sure you're subscribing there. It helps us uh, bring you a little bit more content the more subscribers we get on there. Uh, check us out. We'll be back. We'll do a little bit more on the other games. The two is Saturday, of course, Toronto getting the uh, win in Calgary, which was a real interesting one to see how that shook out. And, uh, and then, of course, Ottawa stealing the win in Edmonton at the end of the game. Lots more to say and all that. We'll break it down and bring it to you. Excited to have the season, Kyle. This felt normal. This felt exciting to be able to uh, talk about all of these yeah, things. Good so. to watch football, finally, and not... Uh you know, pro put up prognostications on what we think uh, teams are going to be. <laughs>
Uh, it'll be more fun as we head towards week number two. We'll give you a little preview of that as well on uh, Tuesday here. And of course, myself and Derek Taylor coming up on Wednesday for you. I got the A block on Friday. It is Wade and Connor Tuesday and Thursday. And Kyle, uh, of course, is going to have the betting perspective as well, leading into week number two. Hopefully better than week one because uh, week one sucked. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Also, congratulations <laughs> to Austin Owens, who we've signed on to be a contributor as a feature writer for us on CFD. Look out for his work on cfperspective.com as we go forward. Thanks to Kyle Mello. Make sure you give him a follow on social media at Kyle underscore Mello underscore. I am at TSN underscore Marsh. We are at Marsh and Mello on Twitter, and we will follow up with you coming up on Tuesday as we head into week number two of the CFL season.